Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did They Do a Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prack. Today, I am honored to be joined by Chris Raleigh. Chris is the CEO and founder of Harvest Returns, an investment platform that has raised over $30 million of farms and agri-businesses. With a background as a naval officer, Raleigh's first-hand experiences in war-torn countries led him to recognize the importance of farming, prompting him to create Harvest Returns to make farm investment accessible to anybody. He brings over two decades of investing experience and holds advisory role in AG Tech Startups. So Chris, thank you so much for spending time with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really glad to be here. So Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with agriculture? Yeah, so I started out as a real estate investor because that's the way a lot of people start out with like single family homes, things like that. And so I did that on the side while I did other jobs. One of those other jobs, I worked in commercial real estate. So I had been an investor in different types of real estate for quite some time. And then, as you mentioned, I traveled the world a lot, mm-hmm. traveled to a lot of different countries. And I saw that people were much more in touch with their food and farming in other countries than they are in the United States. And I found something very interesting about that. And at the same time, I decided I wanted to invest in a farm. And at that time, this was back around 2014, 15, there weren't really any good ways to invest in farming. There were some agriculture stocks you could buy. There was, you could go out and try to do the research and purchase a farm on your own, but that took a lot of time and knowledge and capital to do that. So what I decided to do was brought in an old friend and partner, Austin Manis, and we put the platform together and we started raising capital in about 2018. The company was started in 2000, late 16, and then we started raising capital around 2018. We've been going ever since, and it's been really rewarding to see how people are learning more about farming and then investing in it and helping out a lot of farmers and ranchers and businesses in that space. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing something really different for the investments, right? So can you tell us a little bit more, what is agriculture investing to begin with and what types of investment is available out there? I personally like don't even know either. Yeah, so farmers are just like any other business, uh, including real estate businesses. They need capital to start new businesses or to grow their business. It's a lot like real estate that it's based on land. So whether you're running a ranch or you are running, we do some controlled environment agriculture or indoor agriculture, like hydroponics, things like that, or running cattle, livestock, or have row crops, it's all centered on a piece of land and trying to create the highest value out of that piece of land to primarily produce food, although there's other products that come from agriculture. So as far as types of investments, you can invest in REITs. There's some publicly traded REITs out there. Like I said, you can go out and buy a farm. And then there's some platforms like ours that allow you to invest in agriculture. And in turn, that helps fund these farms and ranches. So we do debt and we do equity investments. So we do private credit loans. We also do 
actual equity into the farming business. And we've done, we're also involved with some agriculture technology startups that are more like an angel sort of investing where you have a potential for a high payoff, but there's also considerable risk there because these are startup companies. But we also work with very well-established companies. And then when you invest, you can expect to see returns from the harvest. That's essentially where we got our name from. So that might be cash flow and from the debt, or that might be as the farm grows, they pay you cash and then some type of exit. And the duration for these investments is anywhere from one year to five years, sometimes longer. One of the things people need to understand about agriculture, you're dealing with biology. So things take a while to grow, depending on what type of crop you have, especially if you're in tree crops or timber that might take a while to produce a return. But in some cases, those returns are very favorable and can be outsized compared to other asset classes. That's awesome. So Chris, you mentioned that like you guys are doing that through the equities as well. And when you're raising capital or like putting a deal together for an agriculture deal, it sounds very similar to like a real estate investment itself, right? Can you give an, like an example of a, a deal? How would it look like from an investment standpoint? Yeah, it is very much like a real estate syndication because my background's in real estate. People on the writing team has backgrounds in oil and gas investments. So we take some parts of real estate investing and parts of oil and gas investment and parts of agriculture investing and put them together for some creative structures. But our average investment size is around $25,000, but we have minimums as low as $5,000. Some people invest more than that. We essentially, we take a pool of investments, we put them together, and then we make a single investment. And so recent deals we've done where we put money together, we provided a loan to the company, the cattle business, and then they pay us a balloon payment at the end of the term, which in this case was a year. We've done other types of debt deals where it might be a three-year deal and they pay semi-annual returns or quarterly returns. So it's very similar to a real estate investment that somebody might recognize, say, if you invest in a self-storage or a multifamily or that sort of thing. So basically, your company is actually providing the loan to the companies that are actually doing the agriculture, but not the operators of the actual agriculture itself, correct? Yeah, in many cases, these are the actual operators. It depends on exactly the type of the business, but these are people that are own their ranches and running their ranches, and they use the money that we lend them to buy maybe cows or maybe improve their fencing or buy more land. And we, on the loan side, everything's collateralized by the land or the farm equipment or the livestock themselves. Got it. And you mentioned that there's a team on your team that's doing all the underwritings, all that, right? Can you share with us how the underwriting process looks like? How do you know that the investment is good for you and your team before you actually bring it to your investors? Yeah. So we talk to maybe 25 or 30 different farms a week or a month come to us. So we've seen a lot of deals. And over the past several years, we've seen Mm -hmm. thousands of deals, literally. And most of them don't make past our initial screening for various reasons. They just don't have sophisticated enough financials. They don't have business plan doesn't make sense or they don't have a business plan. What we're looking for, the initial sort of screening is a team in place that can not only do the agriculture part, grow the crops or raise the livestock, but also the business part. Sometimes you'll have one and not the other on either side of that. We've seen people that come through that have a great business background, but they've never raised cattle and they want to all of a sudden become a rancher. We've seen farmers that have been doing it a long, long time, but their books are a mess and that sort of thing. So once you make past that initial screening, we have several criteria. We're going to dig deeply into their financials, their pro formas, 
we're going to look at, instead of rent rolls, like people are familiar with rent rolls, what we have is offtake agreements in agriculture. So you might have agreements in place with a distributor, a grocery store, someone who's going to buy their crops or someone who's going to buy the products that they're producing. And so that's really important to have that kind of assurance of the revenue going forward. And of course, we're going to do things like background checks, bad actor checks on the sponsor to make sure that they are on the up and up. And then we look at the merits of the deal, sort of we're biased towards doing investments that are good for the environment, sustainable. It's not an absolute must have, but but we like to see that and our investors like to see that. And we get through all that. And after we go through the underwriting process, we put it up on our platform in front of our investors and they decide how much, if and how much they're going to invest. As I mentioned, our minimums are anywhere between say five and $25,000 and we'll raise on average 700,000 for a, a given operation, sometimes more, sometimes less. And then we provide all the tax documents, updates from the farmer. If people want to go visit the farm, they can do that. That's up to them. And But we make sure that the far, farmers allow it. And uh, we've had some really great experiences raising and watching these farms and farmers grow their businesses. Wow, that's amazing, Chris. And also, you know, like any businesses, that's go risk and conservativeness and in terms of analyzing a deal, right? So for an example, like a farm deal that you just mentioned earlier, if it's in multifamily, we basically underwriting with all these vacancies and loss to list, bad debts and all that kind of stuff, right? So what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you're underwriting for the agriculture farm deal mm-hmm. to, to make sure that it's conservative? Yeah, so one thing we want to do is we ask every, what we call sponsor, but the farmer, the rancher, to give us a list of their risk. So if they understand their risk, um, that's a good sign. If they don't provide a very good list, that's not a good sign. We've seen enough deals and our specific kind of categories that we have a pretty good idea of what should be coming forth. But some examples. So like I said, you're dealing with biology. So you have weather, you know, mm-hmm. too much rain, too little rain out in California. For several years, they had too little rain. And then all of a sudden, this past spring, they got too much rain. And both were not good for farming in California. You have disease. You have pest. If you're dealing with a commodity type of crop, such as wheat or soybeans, which we really don't deal with those, but we do deal have some market forces. You're dealing with market conditions. So just like you might have rents are being up. Rents are going down, vacancies are going up, vacancies are going down. You have market conditions in agriculture, and that's based on the price, prices of the commodities, prices of the crops, labor issues, of course. Everybody's got that these days, but you know, making sure they have a good contingencies in place for labor. And there's plenty of other making sure they have enough money that they're undercapitalizing, that their capital stack, just like you might have a capital stack in a multifamily where you've got equity and debt. They raise equity from us that they're going to be able to get that loan underwritten or vice versa. So there's a lot of Mm -hmm. similarities to commercial real estate, but also there's some very unique factors dealing with agriculture itself. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. 
Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it, got it. And I want to go into the return side of things, right? You touched base on it a little bit earlier. In multi-family, we have what is called like preferred returns and also like equity multiples after the, the property is sold at the end, right? So in agriculture, how does it look like for our investors if they wanted to invest in a deal? Yeah, it's very similar. Cost performance is not indicative of right. future performance, but specifically to our private credit investments, I think our track record the past three years is about 20 or 12%. And those are actually creeping upward because of the interest rates have crept upwards so we're able to charge a higher rate. People ask, why would a farmer want a, a loan with a, say, a 15% interest? It's because there's a lot of reasons. One, we're very flexible. We're quick at funding. We will underwrite deals that a bank may not underwrite because they don't understand it, such as greenhouses and things like that, the grass-fed cattle. We've got an expertise in underwriting those that a local bank may not. And then on the equity side, you might see 20% IRR over a several-year period. The exit multiple can be varies, of course, by deal. And then on the agriculture technology side, those sort of angel investments and early-stage uh, technology companies be even higher. And that's all based on the exit multiple you expect to get. And we see the exits of our deals vary, but it is similar to real estate. So obviously a loan has maturity, you pay principal and interest and the deal is over. On the equity side, if it's a developmental type of deal where it's a new farm, you're going to build up, you're going to stabilize the cash flows and then hopefully refinance this out at a specific targeted rate or potentially sell the business at a higher multiple. So very similar in structures to commercial real estate that, that some investors may be familiar with. Got it. And then after you underwriting the deals and you know that this is a deal that you wanted to continue and, and do additional due diligence to find out if it's still feasible. What are some of the due diligence processes that you guys are doing with all these farms? Are you going on site or visiting the properties or how does it work? Yeah, we go on site on some of them where it's feasible. We operate all over the country and we've actually done some overseas deals. So we're not able to visit every farm, especially during COVID. We didn't, we couldn't visit farms, but we are getting out more and more and visiting more of our farms. You know, we're looking at things like weeds and land, and we don't dig too much into things like soil samples because we're not mm -hmm. buying farms outright. We're looking more at the track record of the farmer, assuming that if they're producing good results thus far, they know their land, they understand their land, they know how to grow. Um, so track records are a very important part of the underwriting process. Very rarely will we work with brand new farmers unless what you'll see a lot in the farming community is multi-generational farmers. So their father's farm, their grandfather's farm, they grew up on a, as a kid raising cows. So they know the business, but a 25-year-old comes to a bank, they're probably going to get laughed at. Well, we don't laugh at those people. We take them seriously based on their previous farming experience, even though they don't necessarily have the assets in place. In some cases, there's multi-generational issues where the grandfather might own the land and say the parents didn't want to do farming and now the grandchild wants to farm, So, but he doesn't have any capital. So we help do the startup capital and then use mm -hmm. the land as collateral, that sort of thing. So we've seen various situations, but the underwriting, it's different on pretty much every deal, but we do see some similarities. Got it. And then you mentioned earlier about investing in agricultural startups or tech startups as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What is that? Yeah. So agriculture technology, um, that's a pretty wide area. 
And at first we started where we're only going to do farms. And then after a while, when we sort of got a track record and people saw that we can raise capital and we had a big pool of investors interested in agriculture, we started getting inquiries from these agriculture technology startups. So essentially what these are are new companies. Maybe they've been in business three to five years. Maybe they're newer than that. Maybe they have revenue. Maybe they're pre-revenue. Agriculture technology, there's a lot of different parts of it. So think about the internet of things. So we have companies that do sensors that you put into the soil to measure water, moisture content, or we have a company that we invested in that has sensors that detect wildfire smoke for vineyards. So several years ago, California had a bunch of wildfires and a lot of the vineyards, the wine was basically ruined because all the smoke came over and they had to, they didn't know which part of the vineyard was um, ruined. So they had to destroy the whole thing. Whereas now with these sensors, they can just say, oh, just this one, two acres was out of 20 or whatever was damaged. There's robotics and automation that's coming into agriculture very quickly to take care of some of the labor issues, labor shortages. There's biologicals where, so this is biotechnology helping to grow plants that are more resistant to disease or to insects that sort of thing, or have higher yields. There's just about any kind of technology you can think of can be applied to agriculture in different ways. And we see agriculture is a very conservative business. So it's been, I think, where a lot of technology involving the cloud and the internet occurred in other industries 10, 20 years ago, it's just now starting to take root in agriculture. I mean, there's always been some farmers that are on the leading edge, but overall, it's a very conservative business. So we like working with these companies. We've seen some successes where they've had additional funding rounds and they grow. And hopefully we're going to show some big exits to our investors on some of those later on the next couple of years. That's awesome. So you're talking about later on in the next couple of years. So my question to you is, how do you see agriculture changing in the future and especially in the business? Yeah. So one of the things besides technology that's driving agriculture, well, first there's a couple of things. One is demographics. Mm -hmm. So the world population continues to increase, right? 8 billion people, and it's going to continue to grow. Maybe some people say 10 billion in the next 20 years or so, 30 years. People are eating more food. The other part of, about eating more food is cult countries become more wealthy. They consume more calories. That's a proven thing that occurs. So much more food is going to have to be produced. So it's the one industry, I'd say two of you count real estate. It's the second industry on the planet that everybody touches everybody because everybody has to eat. Most people, at least in the US, don't have farms in their backyard. I know in some countries they do. They're much more reliant on their local market, local food. But the other thing that I see that's driving agriculture changes is consumer preferences. So people want to know where their food comes from. They want to know how it's produced. Is it produced sustainably, environmentally consciously? Who is producing it? They want these traceability, all these things that maybe 20 years ago, nobody really cared about in the United States. Now they do care about it. They have specialized diets. So they want high protein or vegan, vegetarian, and they require farming to adapt to it. So there's that link that a lot of people don't see between, it's an obvious link when you think about it, between agriculture and food. But there's a big gap between the average farmer and the average consumer. And so one of our goals is to kind of close that gap through investments. Right. And, and Chris, is there anything about agriculture investments uh, that I haven't asked that you would like our listeners to know? Well, just that it's it's a pretty new category for many investors. So we're a firm believer in education and understanding before you invest. So we have a lot of content. We have blogs, podcasts like yours, which is great to talk about it. 
And we also want to make sure that they understand the risk. So like anything, make sure you understand the risk before you invest. But we're also happy to talk to people. So we love talking to our investors and have them give us a call or send us an email or whatever mechanism, chat with us. And we'll be glad to help educate and make sure that they're comfortable with the investment. Got it. And my final question is the agriculture is an investment. From your experience, do you see it as more a cash flow investment or is it more like an appreciation uh, type of play investment? So we offer both types of investment. So our debt deals currently mm-hmm. are, are more that cash flow, secure cash flow, our equity are generally more for growth, although some are structured for cash flow. So it depends on what your investment criteria are. Where are you in your investing life cycle? Are you trying to grow your portfolio or maintain or just beat inflation? A lot of people are looking at our private credit right now to try to stay ahead of inflation. Although last year you could make 0% and nearly 0% in the CD. Now you can make three or four. We still have 4% inflation. So the, the interest rates are, the real rates are really negative still or on the verge of being negative still. That's why the Fed keeps raising the rates. So if you want to, you want your capital to actually increase and not erode, then it might be a good place to put some capital. So Chris, thank you so much for spending time with me today to talk about agricultural investment. So if our listener wanted to find out more about you, about your company, like or investing with you, where can they go? Yeah, best place is our website, harvestreturns.com. Of course, we have social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Feel free to shout out to us and we'd love to talk to you and, and teach you more why you might want to invest in agriculture. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time. Great to be here. Thanks. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.